This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Rondé Barber. You're listening to Ira, I think that's his name, and Clark on the iTest for Two. I need to tell you why we're playing that intro. This is the Super Bowl Tampa Bay Bucks edition of the I Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And welcome to the party headquarters for the Super Bowl Bucks. Ira and I are both Hall of Fame voters, and we're joined as always by Hall of Fame producer Ian Glendon. And full disclosure, people, Ian and Ira are in Tampa. They root for the Bucks, and they're just getting back from their last Super Bowl party. So, Ira, first question that Ian and I both have for you: That streaker that ran on the field in the fourth quarter—that wasn't you, was it? Uh, some people think it was me. Um, I I have a different color thong. My thong <laughs> is a different color. Uh, but Clark, I I was there. I was there in the press box. Yes, I was, and. Clark, it was the first time I'd been to Raymond James all, all season. I hadn't been to Buck home games, but, you know, Clark, you get a press box seat for a Super Bowl, you go. Yeah, and, 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 Clark, you of all people uh, would appreciate this. You know, people ask me about the game. I said, I, I was looking for a better football game. You know, that's my old journalism thing, my old UPI thing. I want the better game. I want the drama. There was no drama, Clark. There was no drama. What a weekend. Uh, for the Bucks and and John Lynch, and I'm not talking about the halftime show, Clark. What a weekend! But I'm not talking about the halftime show. <laughs> hey, quick question for both you guys: um, Is there going to be a, a Super Bowl parade or Tampa Bay Bucks parade? And in, in other times in other cities, there would be. W- what about down there? I think it's going to be a boat parade, Ian. That's what I'm reading. I think. Yeah, some uh, maybe they can borrow some duck boats from up north. They uh, got a lot of use up there here for go. a while. <laughs> <laughs> Ira, are you going to be on any one of those boats? You are the mayor of Tampa, after all. Uh, if I go on a boat, uh, it's, it's sh- there's a strong chance that it's sinking. It's a very strong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a quick, quick question for you, uh, Ira. How do we look at Brady now? I mean, I, I don't need to go into you know all the accomplishments. How do we look at? Him? Do we look at him any differently now than we did before? I think we do. I, I think it adds one more chapter, one more crazy chapter. Because, Clark, they had talent in the past. Ian knows it. He's been watching the Bucs. They had talent. But with the talent, they were going 7-9, and 5-11, and 5-11. And, and he comes in. Yeah, they added a few guys. But the core of the team remained the same. And, Ian, he just lifted everybody on that team. That, that's what Tom Brady does. I, I think uh, the Glazers said it best when they said he, he taught him how to win. You know, that, that kind of summed it all up. He came in and... and taught them how to win they were talented but he taught him how to win the big one Ira that may be the first and last time we quote the Glaciers on this podcast (laughs) 
He did say it. He did say it. I'll give him credit to that. He did say it up on the stage. You got to give credit to uh, Brady. <laughs> and second question, how do we look at Tampa now? I mean, is this the sports capital of the universe? And, and I ask that because the Bucks have won a Super Bowl. Lightning won a Stanley Cup. The Rays were in the World Series. But I've got friends out in L.A. who say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we've got some uh, championships out here. L.A. or Tampa? I realize you guys uh, aren't exactly unbiased, but L.A. or Tampa? Well, it's got to be Tampa because the hockey team puts us over the top. And by the way, Clark, they've played 10 games in the new season and they've lost one. So the Lightning aren't going anywhere. The Rays are always pretty good. And uh, Clark, with your man Brady coming back for 2021, there's no reason to think the Bucs are going to fall fall on their butts. When you say for, go ahead, Ian. I was going to say this: wherever Tom Brady is, is the center of the sports world. So that's that's my answer. Nicely said, Mister G. Our last question: When you said Brady's coming back for twenty twenty one, are you talking about twenty years, twenty one years, or twenty twenty one? Clark, I'm telling you, uh, you know, when anybody else he says he's going to play three or four more years, you say that's crazy. Uh, anything's possible with this guy. Anything. Yeah. Right. Well. Anyway, congratulations. Um, that, that was, I, I thought, actually, I, I love the game because as a sports writer, I like to write early and make deadlines. <laughs> and by halftime, you go, you know what? I think I can get my lead. So there was, uh, and certainly by the yes. third quarter, you could. But I want to get on to today's guest. And it's a friend of the show who's been with us for many times before. It's John Turney, a pro football journal, historian of the NFL, guy we love to talk to. And we want to talk to him about the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2021. Ira and I talked about it this weekend. I want to get an outsider's view, and John's not only an outsider, but he's an insider who studies that. And before I ask John a question, Ira, I want to congratulate you, by the way, on the John Lynch selection. I realize John Lynch gets in based on his credentials, but you had to present him for eight years, and that's tough. And as we mentioned this weekend when they did our podcast, that that's his tough on, on the on the voters as it is on people waiting to hear for those selections and you did a great job in your presentations uh congratulations thanks clark you know they say don't get personally involved yeah. you can't help it clark you, you, you work it. with these people so closely it gets very emotional yeah um so anyway i want to welcome in john turney who as i said is one of the um, most respected historians of the game and a friend of the show love talking to him john you on i am uh, welcome again. And, and just for our listeners, we're going to talk about uh, the class of 2021, but also morph into uh, the future, what we're looking at in 2022. And, and also, especially the seniors, uh, Ira's on that committee, the senior committee. And John, you're certainly well-versed in everything about pro football history. But uh, I want to first just tell our listeners, remind them once again, the class of 21, Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Calvin Johnson, Alan Fanica, John Lynch, presented by Ira Kaufman. Those are your five modern era inductees. And then you've got Bill Nunn Jr. as a contributor, Tom Flores as a coach, and Drew Pearson as a senior. It's eight persons in the class of 2021. So the obvious question, John, first overall um, aspect, what do you think of the class? What'd you like? What didn't you like if you didn't like anything? Well, I, I liked it just fine. It was a good class. Um, the, the only disappointment might be Clay Matthews getting thrown into the senior swamp. My feeling is if a guy has, if there's any doubt, go ahead and put him in now instead of sending him to the swamp. 
maybe one of the first ballot guys other than Manning could have waited a year. It wouldn't hurt them, and it would help Matthews tremendously. So that would have been a disappointment for me. Yeah, I think that's well said, John, because Ira and I, as I mentioned, we did a podcast this past weekend, and I certainly wrote about this over the weekend. But uh, my concern is that we're so hell-bent on getting first ballot guys in that we lose persons like uh, Clay Matthews. And three of the last four years, we put three first ballot guys in at once. And so I thought, and I don't know what Ira uh, thinks about this, but I thought we could have waited on someone like, a, not necessarily Woodson, I think, but maybe Calvin Johnson. He's got 20 years of eligibility. Clay Matthews was in his last year. If you wanted to get him in, and I did think he belonged, I would have put him in, but um, that was my only concern. I think it's a good class, but um, the first ballot frenzy concerns me a little bit. Yeah, and I also don't know that the younger voters understand that the more people you put in, that the less the honor means, because inevitably there's going to be people getting in the first ballot that don't measure up to some of the people who were all-time greats who didn't get in on the first ballot. Goose had mentioned Night Train Lane getting in on the fourth ballot. Name a better cornerback in the history of the game. There's only maybe one than Night Train Lane, and he was not first ballot. John, um, Clark and I are already thinking about um, 2022, John, and I think the group would be led by DeMarcus Ware, uh, John, uh, I think that's very questionable whether he has to go in immediately. He's got some numbers, but John, in that respect, it could be one of these cleanup years. And I don't think you would mind, John, seeing the Tony Baselli, um, you know, and um, and the Packers safety get in next year. I think um, I think we got a chance to do that. Leroy Butler, John. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think the mantra for the year should be respect the queue. When you have 10 guys in the top that, that made the cut from 15 to 10, and you put the top five in, obviously, then the next five ought to be the next ones up. Now, of course, Matthews is already out, so that leaves four. So... I think the next four should get in. Now, if there's somebody that somebody truly objects to, they shouldn't be rubber stamped. I'm not suggesting that. But, yes, I would agree. The next four in should be the four that were six to ten, as long as there's not a, a super big objection. And I wouldn't mind an edge rusher. I think maybe you could have uh, Jared Allen and DeMarcus Ware look at their numbers. I look at them, and it, they're amazingly identical when it comes to, to the statistics. DeMarcus Ware does have a ring, and he also has more honors, uh, a couple more All-Pros and, and some more Pro Bowls. So they can look at that, or they can look at maybe pushing uh, a Willie Anderson into the top 15, and maybe he could get to the top 10. So in other words, respect the queue. I think that would be a wonderful mantra. If you guys liked him enough to get him in the top 10, then let's put him in the top five next year. John, um, personally speaking, uh, Rondé Barber, John, who I believe you're very high on, uh, as I am. Um, I was a little disappointed, John. He didn't get more traction, but it was his first time in the room. John, assuming Barber will be back next year among the 15 finalists. Um, I don't understand the knock on Barber, John. They say system corner. Could you address this system corner 
designation? Well, sure. I mean, uh, a system corner uh, or a scheme corner, he was a cover two corner when they were in base, but he was a slot corner when they were in nickel and they were in nickel a lot, as you know. And that's what made him the dominant player because that's where he got those run stuffs. And we talked about having six over 60 of them and the 28 sacks and over 200 passes defense. You have to question if the scheme was good. And from the time he came into the league to the time he left, that scheme was number one in the league in pass defense was number, I think two in sacks was number one in defensive passer rating. It was number one in fewest points allowed. So yeah, he was a system quarter, but the system was great. He was one of the best defenses of all time for a 10, 12 year period. And if you shorten that to five or six years, it was a dominant defense for that period as well. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, John Randall was a system defensive tackle. He was a three technique. It's not like he ever played nose tackle. He didn't play both. In other words, he didn't slide back and forth like some of the tackles back in the day, like a Merlin Olsen or a Joe Green. Do we ever penalize those guys? What about the outside linebackers that we put in that are sack-only guys? Are they system linebackers? Well, absolutely. What about guys that are uh, tight ends that don't block? Kellen Winslow or Ozzie Newsom and those kind of guys. Those are system tight ends, aren't they? Jason Kelsey, he's a system tight end. He's not a complete tight end like maybe Gronkowski. But these are guys that are Hall of Famers, are they not? That's how I would address it. John, and we're speaking with historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal. John, I just want to let you know that Ira asked you that question so he could get information for his presentation next year for Rondé Barber. Always working, Clark. Always so he, working. He can swing some votes so he can do for Rondé Barber what he did for John Lynch this year. Um, and speaking of, of the class of 2022, and Ira, I'm glad you mentioned that, we've got others in addition to uh, Robert Mathis and a DeMarcus Ware coming up. Um, We've got three interesting wide receivers, Anquan Bolden, uh, Andre Johnson, and Steve Smith. Now, you add them to the existing Hall of Fame finalists, Torrey Holt and Reggie Wayne, neither of whom made the cut from 15 to 10. What are we looking at for 2022 in terms of Bolden, Johnson, Steve Smith? Do you see some or any of these guys cracking the top 15? And if so, why? And it does it come at the expense of a Holt or a Wayne? Well, I, it probably, it might. Uh, what I'm afraid of is it's going to come at the expense of some guys that deserve to be in the room. We've got uh, one of the best cornerbacks of all time who's never been in the room, who's running out of time, and it might be a Clay Matthews situation, Albert Lewis. Uh, he was... A, a guy who played man corner, he played zone corner, he he played the slot uh, under Mike Gidding's system. He was he calls him he's a must for getting in the Hall of Fame. He was blue more times than you could count, and he was the greatest punt blocker of all time. And you know it's a lot harder to block a punt than a kick. And this was the guy who had uh, ten block punts plus several more deflected punts. At least he deserves to be in the room. I'm not saying he's going to get in, but he's got two years of eligibility left, I believe. He's not maybe going to get a chance. We couldn't get Bryant Young or Willie Anderson on the uh, 
top 15. What I'm afraid is the skilled players are going to get the, the privilege of, of being on the top 15 just because they're skilled players. Yeah, I don't, I, I wish they would, I just don't like that part of it. I don't disagree with you. And, and, and I don't disagree with Ira when he's talking about some of these players moving forward and, and you saying a cleanup year and Ira saying a cleanup year, because I think it's a chance now for Baselli, who will be in his 16th year, Butler, who will be in his 16th year, and Richard Seymour, who I think is something like four or five years into his eligibility. So there's no rush there. But people have been waiting, Zach Thomas, another guy, people have been waiting to move them forward. And I hope that's the way other voters look at it. But just based on what we've seen over the last four or five years, I'm not all that confident, to be honest with you, because uh, there seems to be something going on with Baselli that they can't cross the finish line with him. The last five years, he's been a top 10 guy. And Ira and I talked about this this past weekend. There's been nobody in the history of the Pro Football Hall of Fame voting who's been a top 10 guy for five consecutive years. Kuchenberg was a top 10 guy for five years, not five consecutive years, but five years. And, and I don't know what that says about him, but in your mind, a guy like Baselli, would you move him forward? Would you move him forward? Would you move Butler forward? Would you move Seymour forward? Yes, absolutely. Uh, they've, I think they've earned their bones. They've been there in that top 10 you talk about. If they're good enough to be in the top 10, they're good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's no reason to waste any more time with them because the more you do, then the more it becomes a backlog. I think the reason Baselli did wait is there were been other offensive linemen that he was kind of fighting with, uh, metaphorically, because as you know, voters like to balance their tickets. They like to have maybe just one or two linemen. They like to have diversity in terms of uh, they don't like to have two guys from the same team. I think that might have hurt Butler a little bit because Whitson has spent a lot of time with the Packers. So those things all come into play. So with Hutchinson and Mawai and uh, Fanica, I think that kind of hurts. Baselli. next year there's not going to be anything like that, even if one of my favorites got in the top ten. Willie Anderson, um, I think I think Baselli would deserve to get in first just because we need to vet Anderson's all the way. So, yeah, I would absolutely put all four of those guys in just so they don't muck up the works for the guys that are coming up in the future. Unless somebody can really say, you know, Zach Thomas is not a Hall of Famer and here's why. Well, okay, then the voters would listen to that and, and see. But the other three are absolute. Let's put them in. They deserve to be in. And then we could move on with the, the class of 2023. John, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, to go to some of these committees now and, and leave the player room for a second. John, we got some sad news uh, about Marty Schottenheimer. And, and John, um, it looks like every year uh, there will be a coaching candidate, and usually that guy's going to get in. So on Schottenheimer in particular, John, I asked Bill Poley in this, and, and I said, hey, can, can we ever consider a coach for the Hall of Fame that never kind of got to the showcase game? And, and it was kind of a consensus that, uh, no, uh, it, it's an absolute necessity that you at least get to the, the Super Bowl. John, some thoughts on, on the late Marty Schottenheimer. Yeah, I, I don't want to really weigh in on that uh, today. But I will say, you know, today Marty does find that gleam in heaven that he's always been looking for, you know, that he was an inspiration. He was part of that old school thing that came from players 
in the 50s and 60s, they all kind of coached the same way. Chuck Knoll, Don Shula, Marty Schottenheimer, you know, the strong running game, the strong defense. The, we will get it done by playing smash mouth football. Chuck Knox was kind of in that same life, though he was not an NFL player, but he was the same kind of guy. And there's something to be said about that. It kind of respected their upbringing. We're going to earn what we we do. They didn't. They kind of issued the passing game, if you know what I mean. They didn't want the cheap yards, and they didn't want to be risky. We're not going to turn it over. We're not going to throw interceptions. And so they they were not part of the. Sid Gilman, Don Coriel thing where they would sling the ball around. It just was against their nature. You know, maybe it was just something in the culture back then. And so Marty was the epitome of that. That's what I think of. And, and John, on the contributor front, uh, again, every year uh, a contributor will be presented and probably get in. Uh, John, what are your thoughts on maybe an out-of-the-box pick like an Art McNally? His name's been tossed around a little bit. John, do you think uh, officials need to be recognized in Canton? Well, if uh, if you look at the original charter of the Hall of Fame, it was to recognize players, coaches, and officials. Uh, I, I I don't really have a dog in that fight. I always pitch for Seymour Siwap of Elias Sports Bureau. I, I don't think him. he has much. Yeah, I don't think he was a real pill. He and I went round and round over the Sachs issue of whether Sachs should be recognized or not. But he was a uh, he was an honorary guy. But uh, I, the reason I, I I speak up for him, and I don't know that he's ever got a chance. A chance. But if you think of fantasy football, if you think of what the NFL is now, it's because of the numbers. And if you didn't have him, you wouldn't have the numbers. If you look at third down conversions, if you look at all those different statistics, it began with him and his company. So I make a pitch for him. But if it were Art McNally, it would be fine if they found somebody like, you know, if we're going to put in Bill Nunn, what about a Don Klosterman who played the same kind of role for the Chiefs and the Oilers and the Rams? So there's lots of contributors out there. I have no dog in that fight. You know, Clark, I care more I, about I, I, the I, seniors committee. <laughs> Clark, I got to know Seymour Seawolf when I was uh, with UPI in New York. He was an ornery uh, character, Clark. And it's interesting that uh, John brings him up because I think he's kind of in the category uh, of the Sables, uh, Clark, yeah. in, term, in terms of uh, the history of the NFL. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, Seawolf was very much a part of that. Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I think you're absolutely right about that. But that might end up hurting him with people saying, we put the Sables in and we put in somebody else in along the, the same lines. Um, John, I want to ask you a question on the, the other category, which is the senior category. We're talking about respecting the queue. And, and we're speaking with historian John Turney, the Pro Football Journal. But uh, the senior committee that Ira's on and that you uh, often weigh in on in terms of just looking at it and evaluating what, what's going on there. We had Drew Pearson come out this year and he apparently, and Ira, I, I'm not gonna ask you to confirm it, but I've heard it from several people that Ken Riley of the Bengals was second in that room. So if you're respecting the queue, Ken Riley should be next. He should be the next guy. Would he be the next guy for you, or would it be someone like a, let's say, a, a Randy Gratishar, who people talk about, or a Ken Anderson, former quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals? If you were on that committee, who would you push for, John, as the next senior? There's no doubt about it. It would be Randy Gratishar. I don't think it was fair 
and look, it's nothing against Ken Riley, and it's nothing against the Cincinnati Bengals, and it's nothing against the people who were pushing for Ken Riley. And, and look, I love you guys. You have a thankless job, and you're going to get criticized from everybody, even guys like me who, who love what you do and respect you. But when you have a Dick LeBeau in the room who coached Ken LeBeau, well, of course Ken Riley's going to end up second. By respecting the Q, you look at Randy Gratishar, who narrowly missed getting in the Hall of Fame proper uh, in, in 2003, 17 years ago. He lost out to Elvin Bethay, and then he lost out in 2008 uh, to Andre Tippett. And these are guys that were both great, great players. But here's Randy Gratishar, who won a Defensive Player of the Year award. That's something that uh, Robert Brazil didn't do another oiler who got in. Um, then you look at Curly Culp, another oiler who got in. If you think of three Hall of Famers from that 1975 to 79 oiler team, you think that would be the greatest defensive team in, uh, in the league at that time. Well, of course they weren't. And then you have the, the, the Broncos, the Orange Crush defense was better than everybody except probably the Steelers and maybe you know the, the Rams who had a great defense during that time, and there's nobody from that team. So you've got Gratishire, Defensive Player of the Year, another year. He was third. Uh, he got votes in two other years. And then people are talking about Ken Riley, who never got a vote for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he was All-Pro once. He was second-team All-Pro. So what they're hanging their hat on is 65 interceptions for Riley. And that's wonderful. That's a great achievement. But does he check all the boxes? And I say no. I think Gratishar checks all the boxes of All-Pro, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Pro Bowls, uh, testimonials. People will say he was the greatest 3-4 inside linebacker of all time. Uh, or second, if you want to consider Ray Lewis at 3-4. But Ray Lewis, of course, played both. So respecting the Q means here's somebody who almost got in on the full committee and not somebody who's kind of got revisionist history and somebody saying, hey, we need more bingles in. I, I really hope the partisanship stops. Uh, people saying, hey, we need somebody from our team rep representative. It should be about the hall and getting the best players in and not about getting representation from Dallas or Minnesota or Cincinnati or Miami or whatever. Hey, that's, John, that's my rant. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. That's why we have you on here. We'd love to hear your rant. Um, one last question for you. We had Eddie DeBartolo, former 49ers owner on here last week, and he was talking about someone on his team because that's the way the question was asked. If you had somebody from your team that you could give a gold jacket to, who would it be? And he said, geez, only one person? And the answer was yes. He said, Roger Craig. I'm with him on that. Roger Craig was a finalist in 2010, and then he was a centennial class finalist, as was Randy Gratishar, did not make it. Randy Gratishar didn't make it either. But my complaint here with Roger Craig is when you look at that 49ers team from the 80s, there are two guys, two starters from that team in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana. Well, Joe was there for four Super Bowls. Jerry was there for only two. Then you go, that's it? No offensive linemen, no other players? What about Roger Craig? And so I would ask you, what about Roger Craig? Where do you stand on him? Yeah, well, even, you know, just because uh, Ed DeBartolo likes him doesn't mean Ed DeBartolo is wrong. Yeah, uh, Roger Craig deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he's, he was one of those guys that uh, was a cog in that team for 
winning those Super Bowls, and he's got the numbers, he's got the honors, he's got the rings, he checks all the boxes. Uh, and another somebody that needs to be looked at a lot closer now that Tom Flores is in is George Seifert. Now, we just watched Todd Bowles take down one of the best defense or best offenses of all time. What did George Seifert as a defensive coordinator do to the to Dan Marino in the 84 Super Bowl? Then he goes and wins two Super Bowls. One, you could say he kind of gravy trained, but Tom Flores' 1980 Super Bowl was John Madden's team. And then Seifert goes and kind of has a bad second act, just like Tom Flores did. So if Flores is in, why isn't Seifert in, who is also a dominant defensive coordinator. So there's two 49ers from that team that maybe deserve or do deserve recognition in the Hall of Fame based on now the standards. And it's not because they're 49ers. It's because it was a great team that uh, had great players that needs to be represented just based on their accomplishments, not because anybody's a 49er fan or owner. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I plan on writing about that soon. Hey, John Turney. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time. Great to hear from you. Uh, great to hear about your thoughts for the class of 2022. And we'll check in with you soon. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Thanks, Thanks Hey, Ira, you're on the senior committee. What's going on with Randy Gratishar? Do you hear his name? Does he have much traction? What's going on in that room? I think he's a very compelling candidate, Clark. Very compelling. Ken Riley's got the juice right now. He does. Riley's got the juice. I'm not sure the guy ever made a Pro Bowl. Clark. He didn't. He didn't. He did not. So I don't know. Is that a disqualifier uh you know and, and he had a good corner next to him in, in lamar parish you know right. so you got to decide that but I'll, I'll throw out a name clark and i was gonna uh next time we have turning on i'm gonna throw this name at and you remember this guy in the old afl look his career numbers clark they, they're not hall of fame numbers but i think he was a prototype and we like prototypes clark six foot three wide receiver kansas city chiefs otis taylor Came up big in big games, uh, big catch in the Super Bowl, tremendous catch in the AFC, uh, the last AFL title game against o Oakland. Clark, you talk about people that played the Chiefs in those years. You got to stop Otis Taylor. That no was question. job number one. No question. Maybe we get somebody from Minnesota Vikings on here in a future podcast to talk about it because that's what I remember about that that uh, that football game, Super Bowl four, catching the ball and going down the sidelines. Anyway, um, Ira, final thoughts. Uh, you know, take your party favors out of the room, get that hat off, that blow out the candles. What do you have to say about Tampa and those Bucks? Uh, the Bucks played a fantastic game, Clark. And I'm not trying to pick on this guy, but I think you might share somebody's thoughts. Andy Reid had a bad night, Clark. He had a real bad. He had a real yeah. bad night. Yeah. And yeah. you know, he didn't make any adjustments to that pass rush. You know, and um, and, and those timeouts at the end of the first half were. Uh, that was a horrible decision. Horrible. Uh, yeah. He basically gave Brady another touchdown, but the Bucs deserved it, Clark. They outplayed him from start to finish. Absolutely. And uh, all this ranting about the officiating, what it comes down to, I was glad to hear Patrick Mahomes talk about this because I thought he handled it in a class way afterwards. He said, say what you want about that. Listen, we didn't play very well. We were beaten by a better team. I wasn't very good. We weren't very good. We deserved to lose. And honestly, they did. No question. Okay. Well, um, that's going to do it. Um, Ira, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76. Ian? At IGLEN31.
And I'm at Clark Judge, T-O-F, and Ian, tell them where they can find all three of us at the same time. That would be the eye test for two, all letters, no numbers on Twitter. Give it a follow. There you go. Okay. And if we don't hear from you there, Ira, they can find us right here at where? The eye test for two, my friend. You got it. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Been a pleasure. Talk to you soon.